And we're live. G'day, guys. It's Down Under Sigma episode. Is it five, Liam? Five. 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 Yeah. People are still five. tuning in. We got five episodes down. We're close to 10. Yeah. Halfway there. Halfway. <laughs> how, how are you, mate? I am great. I'm exhausted after a five day weekend uh, playing Warhammer, um, but getting back in the swing of things. How about you, man? Yeah, good, good. Back in the swing, printing terrain, preparing for Sydney GT. I am back in the groove. Um, and uh, funnily enough, something that's come up this weekend, obviously, is the Loon Curse. So I'm sure we'll talk a bit about releases coming soon. Oh, yeah. But so excited. We have some guests. Yeah, we have some special guests. These guys, most people may know them or may have seen them from Australia, but some people may have never seen them before. But um, yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, who are they? Yeah, who let's, are let's they? Do, you do the you do the intro. So here we go. So we got uh Chris from Mortally Wounded, and Hello, his partner in crime in Mortally Wounded, James Mabry, the best painter I know in the death section, in my opinion. But yeah, <laughs> oh, oh, you're too kind, too kind. <laughs> everything he paints is just so pretty. So yeah, um, and then also yeah, Chris is my partner in crime with Sylvaneth. Flesh Eater Courts, and I think those are the only two armies we are matching at the moment. But yeah. At the moment. But yeah, so have you guys give us a bit of a quick introduction of yourselves? Starting with sure. Chris, since yeah, he was right. like ready. I was going to pass it over to James, but sure, I'll start. Um, <laughs> hi, everyone. Chris Welfare. Um, hopefully, some of you um, know me already from the Mortally Wounded podcast um, that me and James do. Um, obviously, English. Uh, been here about four and a half years, but big part of the Sydney scene. Um, I think kind of one of the founding members with James as well. So um, yeah, been been playing Sigma since the start. Um, old world player originally, moved straight over, started completely new armies, didn't have anything here. But yeah, I've been playing the whole time. I'm a competitive player um, first and foremost, but I also like to not have a terribly shabby army on the table. So um, oh. Definitely not a skill painter, but I, I put effort in. Basing's probably my thing. Um, uh, yeah, I basically collect pretty much everything. Um, some people would say I take filth lists. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to think I'm a nice guy on the table. Um, I just want to play the game how it's meant to be played, um, but play it hard. No, and for people who obviously subscribe to the channel, you've probably seen the Sylvaneth show where Chris and Liam talk Sylvaneth. And there's already Twitter about doing a second show with the with the potentially new book and new model. So uh, may have to slide a, a brown paper bag of money to Chris to get him back on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it never cost me much to talk about Sylvanette, so. <laughs> <laughs> and your partner in crime, James? Hey, guys. Hey, guys. I'm, my name's James. Um, James Mabry. I've um, been around for, yeah, since the earlier days of Age of Sigma. I'm, I'm an old Bretonian player uh, back in 8th edition. Um, Predominantly a painter throughout most of my Warhammering um, hobby career. So, career. I don't know if you could call it a career, but um, have you yeah. won something? Have I won something? Yeah, um, I've won. I've got a few certificates and a few and a couple of um, trophies sitting on my. But that thing is the profession. Like it's, it's legit, it's, right? Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a career. I'm rolling in it. Like you can obviously see all the money that uh, you know, all the cash monies that come goes into into this hobby, but. <laughs> No, but um, yeah, so yeah, Bretonian play from from sort of way back. Um, never really got in the gaming scene before in eighth, eighth edition. I was more about just trying to get an army up. And then when Age of Sigma dropped, 
I was very nervous about the future of the Bretonians. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I kept playing. Like we got a new we got a new compendium of rules. So I just I just embraced the whole thing. And and as a matter of fact, like I embraced it fully. Like so, like uh, some of my favorite games I can remember are um, without points and coming to that gentlemanly agreement about what we're going to take and how we're going to play a battle and actually doing that and having an amazing um, time with it and which I suppose like uh, touches on our sort of theme tonight of um, uh, you know, more than match play or a narrative sort of uh, strain there so yeah I've have experienced the na narrative to I think to in just uh, pretty um successfully in the past but it's something i wish i could do a lot more often um but um yeah just age of sigma and where we're at, at the moment is um if i want to get games in regularly and hang out and see people then match play is uh is is default setting for me at the moment but um when i can i really love to play some some good old narratives so but um yeah i kept playing Britannians for a bit and then uh got into death i just always wanted to paint spirit hosts and now I've got 21 of them sitting in my cabinet, <laughs> sitting in my cabinet. Uh, but yeah, sort of grew from those first lot of spirit hosts and I painted a Banshee and a Canwraith and next minute I'm painting skeletons and just kind of grew from there. And I painted my first um, big model, which was the Vampire Lord Zombie Dragon. And uh, that was like my first sort of time I won a, a bit of painting recognition. I won the, like the, the Monster May at the Sydney uh, GW store and kind of just really, really wet my taste for that kind of color scheme and, um, yeah, just went from there and I've just built up um, a, a fairly sizable um, death army with all the different elements, so zombies and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, yeah, so that's, that's me basically and been involved in the tournament scene um, since I guess the earlier times. Um, my work took me away from things for uh, the last couple of years quite significantly, but um, now that I'm uh, not away with work so much, um, I'm hitting hit the ground running this year and got three tournaments under my belt so here's to many more this year it's um, good to have you back it was this weird, weird lull when you disappeared for a while so yeah uh, <laughs> just, yeah i missed i missed it terribly just quickly you do know bretonian does have a battle term called flesh i was gonna say they're the most competitive army <laughs> they, got, they got the most competitive army in the whole of aos they are sweet like candy yeah they're they're so hot right now yeah, Liam's knee deep in the Bretonian uh, law right now. Yes, I know. I know everything about Bretonian. That is why we did so well in trivia. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I can see we've got a whole bunch of people in the chat. Um, shout out to um, Andrew Bigwood as well, who, uh, and I think this really ties in today's theme, which is around exploring the Age of Sigma world outside of traditional match play. I think um, we probably get fixated really quickly in, you know, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 point battles. So we really want to explore, um, you know, how do you play this game outside of this traditional build and um, playing narratively, playing match play, that are, they're not mutually exclusive. And I think um, Big Wood is a great example. He came forth recently at an event. James, Chris, you guys do really well. Um, so it's like, how do we, how do we explore the realms outside of this traditional tournament? And, uh, I think we've got some good stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Now, Chris and yeah. James are one of the original, you got something to say? Cause I, you know I where I'm transitioning. Say, yeah, definitely, definitely with the, uh, the realm, the realm rules and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot to, to come into for all the narrative stuff. So it helps. Awesome. So now we're going to stop delaying because I've got a treat for everyone. Uh, Liam and I have been planning this out. 
Chris and James are super best friends, have been doing a podcast for years. These guys travel together. In fact, they kicked off the Sydney travel scene by going up to um, RCGT the very first year. These guys are BFFs. And Liam and I wanted to test to see how well they actually know each other. So we've hand-selected about eight or nine questions. Yeah, eight and or nine. <laughs> so I'm going to ask these questions, right. and we're going to see how well each each uh, person knows their other. So I'm going to start with Chris. Chris, where is James from? <laughs> Shit. Uh, <laughs> that's the best way to start. Uh, I want to say his family's down from the Southern Highlands, but I think that's Sam. <laughs> <laughs> that's my wife for people who don't know oh come James, on where is it where, 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 where is it where I'm are you from i'm from sydney <laughs> but from the northern beaches of sydney i uh, grew up in the oh, northern, northern beaches. beaches yeah yeah um that was where I had my kids childhoods but i haven't got any kids that's where i was a kid um and then yeah but most of my adult life lived sort of like in the inner west of sydney um and lived in the eastern suburbs for a while but yeah a sydney person through and through um yeah just just quickly i love it how chris knew where your wife was from but not you <laughs> so james that's because i talk about it a lot probably i don't really talk about sydney much yeah so james, well, what's, what's chris's favorite song favorite song yeah favorite song oh, um, <laughs> the uh mortally wounded podcast theme song obviously <laughs> obviously if what is pick... that song? What oh, is that song? Judgment Day is coming. Yeah, is <laughs> oh, Chris. I, that's a pretty hard question. I don't even that's... know my favourite song. Yeah, well, I don't know, like Perry Perry Farrell? Who? Jane's Addiction. <laughs> <laughs> this is going horrible. <laughs> um, We're going to get zero. Yeah, no. Chris, what is, <laughs> Chris is what's your favourite song at the moment? Oh, God. I don't even know. We don't even t- we didn't talk about anything but Warhammer. Yeah. And sometimes about family. Sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, what's James's favorite movie? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be like, um, oh, like National Lampoon or something like that. James. <laughs> Uh, no, sorry, Chris. <laughs> what is it? Well, first thing that's come to mind is probably Lord of the Rings trilogy. I was going to say probably yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, just at the moment, like that's sort of like that's probably the first thing that comes to mind is like a general overall all time that stems from the books too. <laughs> so, James, do you think Chris is a morning or a night person? He's a morning person, definitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, just quickly, is that from the? From what you've based on the trip that we just had? No, no, no. Just he, Chris is an early riser. I know. I know that's how, that's how he structures his life. Chris, are you a morning or a, a night person? I am now, but I wasn't previously. <laughs> Since Australia, yes. So that's fair. <laughs> yeah, fair. Cool. So Chris, um, if... so Liam, you asking one? I, I was going to ask one. Um, right, go on. So Chris, if James could be any animal, what would you be and why? Like, what would he be and why? A fucking drop bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Because <laughs> he's friendly, friendly, but he'll ruin people. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> James, what would it be? If I was an animal or if Chris was an animal? Well, but I guess I guess I want to see if he, how close he was. But Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> yes, they got one. They got one. Uh, well, one nil. As Big Wood said, you guys are on fire. <laughs> Who um, is the better cook between you both? Oh, um, I, I, uh, I would have said me. I don't know. I've, I've eaten your food. It's pretty nice. Then have I, have I cooked for you? I did. I've always, yeah, I've had a barbecue. It's usually takeaway, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Pizzas. laughs> I'm pretty sure I, I, I cooked for you guys last week at yeah, at yeah. Wall, so. you did because I was playing a game and everyone was already <laughs> hounding me for taking eight hours. So. This yeah, is true. Chris took get, eight hours to play Chris one took game. Eight hours to play two K game. But if I wasn't playing, I would have been the one cooking. I'll, I'll, I'd have to concede Chris is is probably the better cook by virtue of him cooking more frequently at home. I do cook at home, um, but not not as much as my wife does. So, yeah. Okay, so James, so... what's Chris's next army and why? And then Liam, you get the last question. Yeah. Fuck, I don't uh, even know that. Big <laughs> well, one, James. What do you think Chris's army, next army is going to be, and why should it be that? Next new army or recycling into a previously used uh, army? Let's say a new army, like he's you know something that he's not pl- currently playing with. Slanesh. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, it's new and it's uh, it's going to have a whole bunch of new cool rules, and I think he'll be able to find some kind of sweet kick-ass list in there that uh, will lead the way with the, the meta. Chris? Liam, Liam's, reaction, Liam's reaction knows that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Slanesh, no. I'm not buying any new armies, so that's kind of harsh. It would be Nurgle, probably. Now, I, I was laughing because I know that Chris's display board is painted in three colours, not four. Because his least favorite chaos god is Sanesh. <laughs> is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think James is just trolling Chris. Potentially. However, Liam, what's the last question? So, uh, Chris, what is James's least favorite faction and why? What's the pretty much like? What's the one army that he's probably like least going to get into? You probably what should know this. I'm pretty sure we had a conversation about this over the weekend. Stop prompting him. Yeah, Nurgle. He hates Nurgle. Yes. <laughs> he literally hates Nurgle because he finds them disgusting. All right, chat, yeah, how that, did we that, go? I feel like correct. they got like two, three right, maybe. Here's, here's another question for Chris, though. What is one army that James is considering getting into, though? Slanesh. There we go. Clap <laughs> for them. Yay! All right, so... <laughs> they, are, they are literally the opposite of each other. <laughs> yeah. All right, We're so a look, out, look out for the we Divorce compliment. podcast coming up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go solo. <laughs> might see a merger of Shadowhammer and Chris, maybe. I don't know. James and Deke can start a podcast. Um, Ooh, I don't know. The Lords of Death. <laughs> um, oh, all right. So... It's a bit of fun. We kicked off. I think we, you know, get, got a little bit to know of Mortally Wounded. Um, before we get into the topic, I wanted to find out, uh, obviously, we've had a big week in Warhammer. We've had Border Wars. We, we all four of us played in Border Wars. We've had um, Slanish get pre-released. We've got the Loon uh, Curse come out with Sylvaneth and Gloomspite. Fire Slayers have kind of started hitting the tournament tracks with um, Andrew Wright kind of took out, taking out uh, Briscon. What do we think, guys? Whew, what a week. 
pretty cool. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Well, pretty, Liam, pretty you're saying you're, you're writing lists with, um, you're writing your Sylvaneth lists already. So is that, are you forgetting about Sylvaneth now or? So pretty much, this is really annoying. So I was super, like I've had three or four Sylvaneth lists written up all with a similar idea. And then literally Monday ruined my plans. It was just <laughs> like, cool. Well, there goes a new hero. And also the fact that it's also, and I've been asking for this, even like, I think even in the Sylvaneth episode, I said I would really love to explore more of like the God of Kurnoff with Sylvaneth. So the fact that they said, oh, this is a Kurnoff champion. I was like, well, f- fuck, there goes my money. Um, How many boxes did you get it by? Uh, I'm looking at two. Two boxes, two two regents, uh, and I'll do two units of 10, tree revs. And I'll also have two kind of hunters, one with bows and one with swords. So, yeah. Um, so if anyone needs uh, some squigs, um, but <laughs> names you um, man. <laughs> yeah. Names I'll, be, guy, do you hook up? I'll literally be like squigs for days, but Sinesh is still in it. Like I am looking at my Sinesh right now and I still want to do a nine fiend list and like a low body count Sinesh list is what I want to do. Um, that's move fast at the moment. I'm really liking low body count, especially playing gristle gore. Yeah. <laughs> Mortally wounded. What do we think of the releases? Uh, I love that um, that new Squig boss. The, he must be the Loon King himself. Yeah, <laughs> it looks amazing. Like that that new model. I love it. It's a, it's a massive. Probably it's it's such a big difference from the uh, fine cast um, Loon cartoon. On. Yeah, it's uh, chalk and cheese. Yeah, I I, just, I think that's my favorite model out of them uh, out of all of these the new ones that have come out this week. Um, and those Sylvaneth look fantastic too. Like that guy with the like the sort of the skull face with the big horns coming up and stuff. Like he looks pretty beastly as well. It's, 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 he, a, very, it's a very Wanderer's mask though. So it, it's a bit odd for me. I really like the model, but it, it makes me curious as to where they're going to go with a new book. Like I'm wondering if it's going to be almost like Gloom Spite where they took a lot of reasonably sized factions and made one ginormous faction, whether they might actually just rather than give wanderers a book just roll wanderers into a whole new kind of tree folk type battalion maybe that mask is a is a sign that they'll roll that in because it the the rest of the model looks like sylvaneth but that mask is definitely wanderesque so and there has been some rumors that potentially wanderers will get bundled in so i don't know how much truth's in that but uh maybe oh interesting like I'm looking at the mask right now and yeah, it is a bit wondery, but like at the same time, it does have a shape of like a kind of hunter hunt master. If you look at the hunt master model, the horns are very much similar. It's just that mask is the only difference. However, though, the shape of the head is very similar to a kind of hunter. So it does, it does represent the God of Kurnoff. Are Wanderers uh, kits pretty new? Are they kind of like, are they out of date? Like I I haven't really looked. They, I think they were before end times, but still relatively new for them. Yeah, they're probably, good. I don't know, they're probably about seven, seven or eight years now, maybe. Yeah, so about eighth edition, seventh edition kind of. Yeah. Model. Yeah. yeah. Um, the wings are beautiful. Like, it's so weird to say that, but those wings on that model is just absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. And can I just say that the paint job for both the Loom Boss on the Squig and that model there um is doing the model so much justice like it really pops um quite a lot so 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 the heavy metal team are doing a killer fucking job awesome and what were our highlights of border war so all four of us traveled down to albury 
to play in a match play event. Uh, someone here may have won something. Uh, some other Josh, people may have been highlights? nominated for things. Is there a... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris has got to talk. Chris, talk. That's my highlight. Yes. <laughs> I went for the sword and I came back with the sword. You're lucky that I didn't take it because I didn't really want to put it on a plane. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was the only reason why you wanted because I, I didn't want to take it on the plane. It's almost yeah. as if I planned for it by driving home. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you almost no, stabbed me with it when there. you sat down as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the hell? It was, it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> so, what were no, our highlights, a... James? What was our highlight? Highlight for me uh, was probably when Nagash. Uh, he just threw out a fair few hand of dust through the tournament. So it took me a bit to get warmed up into him, but um, he hand of dusted off two Frost Heart Phoenixes and Archaeon in one particular game and an, and one Enlightened. I feel like there should have been more, but he got he got dodged a lot and I was still trying to figure out how to use the spell portal and I made a few mistakes. But, it, yeah, no, that was probably my highlight. Yeah, hand of dusting Archaeon off the board <laughs> was a real relief. Liam? Uh, I know what my biggest non-highlight was, which was going and getting paired up with Chris, um, <laughs> which made me lose my chance of getting that sword, but oh well. Um, but my biggest highlight would probably be, I don't know, just hanging out with the Melbourne crew and the Aubrey crew, pretty much like people that I don't get to see often of get to like chat too much because like everyone has their own little group. So it was cool that like everyone's in the same space and you get to like move around and chat. That was probably my highlight. Um, but another highlight would probably be uh, killing three great unclean ones in one round of combat. That was good. Oh. That was real good. <laughs> That's bad. Chris, Chris, Chris is freaking angry. Me and, Liam, like, me and Liam were talking about that in the car home and he was like, yeah, no, I did good. And I was like, I'm not sure you understand the odds of that. It was not a smart decision. I was like, it's basically like Avengers Infinity War where Doctor Strange says, I went forward and viewed 14 million um, versions. How many did we succeed in? One. That was that was Liam's one. That should never have happened. But aren't we glad that he did? Yeah. I was impressed. It was, Christmas was not happy. He was like, you should oh, not be able not to do happy. that. I was just like, you shouldn't think that that was a smart tactical decision because it probably should not have happened. But yeah. Now, before oh, wow. we get into Chris's highlight, we've got a request that uh, when you had the sword at Border War, you had done something for the crowd. I want you to put it on the internet right now. So, <laughs> yeah. Chris, oh, over to, to you, my out? friend. Do I need to zoom out? Okay. Do I have to zoom out? You just... By the power of Grayskull, I have the power! Man. <laughs> is it really bad? Is it really bad? But I have no idea what you guys are on about. Oh, you're such he a man, Liam. How do you watch so much anime and stuff like that and not know He Man? I just—it's not he my was thing. Born in the nineties, mid nineties, I'd say. Yeah, I'm a ninety-five kid. Yeah, All right, we're are. gonna get hate, a bunch of hate mail because Liam doesn't know. Even I hate you, and I'm not that much older. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Chris, what was your highlight? Other than the sword, like it was just an awesome weekend, as Liam said, hanging out with people, getting to chat. Um, for me, I was probably the most relaxed I've been playing at an event. Um, I had practice games with the list, which helped massively because to be honest, I don't normally get many practice games in. Um, 
but probably proudest moment was against Charles Black, the Daughters of Cain list, because it was a really, really strong list. And I played really well, like <laughs> not to toot my own horn, but there was some things that I set up that were really smart in terms of sacrificing units to pull him out of his buff ranges for the next turn and things like that, that meant I was able to just pull his army apart, um, like not attacking 2.9 inch tagging 30 witch elves, not attacking them, like not piling in so I didn't have to attack, taking a hit back all the way down to two models to then regrow to pile in with a dead watch in my hero phase because they had Martyr's Sacrifice on because it doesn't work in the hero phase, it only works in the combat phase. And I would have killed myself if I'd attacked in the combat phase. So doing that, taking the hit to then take them out in the hero phase so their buff didn't work, I was pretty pleased with myself. Love it. And I think my highlight, uh, while I got to play, so I had two rule highlights. One was playing Danny Paints um, with his free guild. So uh, getting to see the free guild on the other side of the fence, um, yeah. <laughs> which was really cool. Uh, and it's now, such a beautifully painted army. Now, what are your thoughts on free guild shield shooting? Uh, I like it. Um, I, <laughs> I, it re reminds me why I really like it. And um, I'm inspired to come back quick, probably earlier than i wanted to so you know I, I i wanted to give it a good solid rest and i'm now itching to bring the free people back so, uh, but but uh and the scary thing was danny didn't doesn't run the same type of army um he was running very msu so um i could sustain the small amount of damage he was putting through with the shooting uh while as we know um i like my large blocks of shooters so um yeah i got some some ideas uh, and then the other highlight was when Ken, um, with his deep kin, uh, charged me, sideboarded me with a bunch of eels, and I blocked them with some fanatics. He only killed two fanatics from um, the electric charge, which I thought was odd. Uh, very, it shouldn't have happened. And yeah. then my fanatics killed his eels, and my colossal squig ate some eels, and uh, it was very odd that only two fanatics out of five died from the the, the six zaps. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some strong ass fanatics. Yeah. Very, very, very lucky. So, um, but overall, really good weekend. Uh, uh, big props to Travis and Adam for running uh, a yeah. great event. So. Oh, and um, Anthony, you got the. Um... Best destruction. Best destruction. No, I, I got runner-up best destruction. Yeah. Andrew Bigwood uh, got. Uh, yeah, he took out first. Took out first. Uh, yep. James, you got um, runner-up best painted. Yeah. Um, so I think you know overall a good weekend for all. Felt good for that that recognition because I'd really busted my ass to get that army painted um, in time for the tournament. So I was, yeah, I took a week off leading up to it and to make sure everything was up to scratch. And I was literally painting <clears throat> twelve hours a day. Or more and, and he was painting the day before he literally yeah. when he when he arrived to the Airbnb, i came in and he's just there like basing chain ross doing his i was like okay i'm leaving james like, alone hey, i'll be i'll be with you in a sec just doing this right. so yeah. there's some really really high uh high hobby which was great so um yeah. you know really interesting armies you know chris cousins had this uh orc themed um oh, yes. and overlords you had That's nick sick. hohen with his amazing um uh, black, coach. black coach coming yeah. through a realm gate. You had obviously yeah. Danny Paints and uh, Andrew Bigwoods had some you know, his amazing um, uh, ogre ogre kind of combined force. It was just like yeah. really the, high standard. Had the pleasure I, of playing playing um, Andrew again 
we um, <clears throat> we grudged each other on the, for the first round. Um, so yeah, it's good to play again, Andrew. And beautiful army. It was just yeah, a great way to start off the um, start off the tournament. And you you got that win. So we're at uh, one and one now. So we'll have to grudge each other again. <laughs> Can I just say, looking at his list, I still don't understand how it works. But he came seven for six. Came fourth. Came fourth. Came fourth. Yep. Came fourth. Can I say that, that's, that's the highest that I think destruction strong, has been. It's a strong list. And it's like those ogres just put out so much damage. And there's so many big threats you got to deal with. Like I, I, I killed the giant in the game, but it took like, you know, it took a lot to get that thing down. But um, yeah, the rest of it just could not withstand the amounts of damage he was putting out. Yeah. Like honestly, kudos to him because destruction statistically... <clears throat> Should not be doing well, but the fact that he came fourth, killer job with a list that no one has ever seen before. So it's awesome. Yeah, it, was, it was odd. It's a very odd. I, I recommend anyone check out the lists. Um, it's yeah. a you look at it and you just scratch your head, like how on earth does this work? Uh, but it works clearly. Yeah. yeah. But Andrew, being a um a narrative player at heart, and he always writes a, a story and a theme for all of his um lists. Um, and to see that win, coolest army get fourth, best destruction, like. Just cleaned up, took some names. Just kill up. Um, but yeah. But yeah, also we had some cool stuff. Uh it was like Border Swords was cool. Like we had some people, it was like their first tourney. Like I'm pretty sure one guy from Bendigo, he just turned 18 the day before the tournament. So like he was like having a great time just drinking, hanging out. Um, and then we had like people like Jordan who came first tournament ever, came second. With Nurgle. With Nurgle, um, but his Nurgle's beautifully painted yeah. as well. Like yeah. I, it it's just amazing. Um, so it was really cool. It was awesome hobby standard, like above um, with most people. Most people's hobby was like definitely like just way above than usual, which was cool. So, yeah. so we're kind of on the cusp of the sh the topic of the week, and kind of James alluded to it, which is around narrative. And this isn't the narrative show, but it's uh. This is very much, I think, the topic that I want to explore today is really um, how do you play Age of Sigma outside of those uh, 18 match play scenarios? And yes, there's even two in Malign Sorcery, but no one really uses them. But there are so many other different ways to play from, uh, maybe I shouldn't ruin ruin the, um, the Christmas present, but there are lots of different ways. And I think uh, we get fixed often in match play. We get fixed at those 2,000 points or 1,500 point armies. So I think um, you guys have really good experience and I want to start picking out how do we start playing this game outside of match play? You guys up for it? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. And you guys obviously pick for, for, for very good reasons that uh, we'll find out very soon. So let me throw, it up, throw the starting question is what are the other ways to play Age of Sigma outside of match play? So you got open play, which is probably the, the the most rare, I'd say, which is throw anything, any concept of points or balance of fair, kind of evenly matched armies out the window. And it's just whatever you want. Grab your models, get to the table, and just head to head, whatever you want. You can literally, it's open. You can do anything you want. So that's like what AOS was at first, correct? Yeah, pretty much. Like... The open play concept, I think, is really good if you're just getting into the hobby and you've just got a few models, you've got your first um, get started set and you just want to have a game and start learning the mechanics. So you can just go, okay, you've got a, you've got a 
let you know get started box i've got to get started box let's just let's just put the models down and let's let's learn how to play this game and and just have some fun rolling dice and just sort of a, <clears throat> i think it's a good tool to help establish like just to do those casual sort of throwdown games with a brand new person who doesn't know anything about age of sigma i think that's probably in my opinion at the moment would be um probably probably the best way to approach it from the start with a new person yeah. um and it was yeah it was the default setting when age of sigma first came out which i think um yeah there's a lot of different views on it and um on how that affected the game and um my personal experience was i just stayed i had an open mind for it and um uh, really kind of quite it was quite refreshing to not be restricted by um a points system that had been become so entrenched and i know a lot of people would um strongly disagree with me but um but uh for me it was a real positive experience just uh it actually had that engagement with um to have an engagement with somebody and to actually discuss what you want to get out of the game. And, and it, I think it works really well if you're doing like a, um, <clears throat> like say a campaign, just a campaign between two of you, um, you might be like, for example, I'll just draw from my experience. And that was, I had a friend who was a bit on the fence about coming on to age of Sigma. And so I'd say, okay, well, let's play a game of eighth edition. And if you beat me, you decide what, what, what game we're going to play next. But if I beat you, I get to decide. So after a couple of games of eighth edition, I, I got the win and I said, all right, we're playing age of Sigma now. He's like, okay. And so then we just decided to just have the armies we already had and build on it from there and create, we created a scenario. We drew from the different um, scenarios that were available in those earlier times. And we and bolted on a few different rules to kind of fit what was happening in, to tell the story of the next sort of phase. And, um, it was a real collaborative and, uh, we had rules where like basically it was my Bretonians versus his beastmen. And we had these rules where, um, every turn he could bring on another one of his um, units from the back. So it was just created this like simulation of a rolling tide of beastmen charging at this fortress that we'd build up. And like all my peasants were on the walls and that we sort of came up with different sort of buffs for their saves and things like that, just to make them a bit more durable and to create that sort of a bit more of a realism, I suppose you could say. So we kind of bolt on these things and we had rules where um, from turn three onwards on a, on a four up, a unit of knights could charge from the side of the, of, you know, from the side or something like that. So it was all about trying to recreate a fun, um, like almost like cinematic experience on the battlefield. It just didn't, it was just about the, the Petonians trying to hold out in this fort to the last man. And the, the victory conditions were, I had to have at least one of my models, my original deployed models left on the board by the end of turn five to win a, like a victory. And so it came down to the last turn, like there was giants climbing over the walls. King Lewin came in at one point and slew a giant. There were knights fighting. There was like beastmen climbing over the walls. All my army was dead with the exception of one peasant trebuchet um, uh, operator, like one of the trebuchet guys. And I just like was running him in the other direction. And um, my mate sent his uh, harpies at him charged him fluffed all his attacks and that was it game <laughs> won the game based on this one peasant surviving but um it was probably the most i I've, I've talked about this before in different podcasts in the past but something i always refer back to because that was just such an epic feeling and such a great experience and it had no points it was it was narrative it was i suppose technically open play and um we created an, an amazing experience so i think uh, if you've got an open enough mind and you want to just try something new and do something a bit different and you have somebody who's of the same mindset, I don't think it's something that works with people 
um, who are just meeting for the first time. I think that's why points are really important and are a really good part of the game because it adds that built-in structure and um, so you can get up there and just have a have a you, know, you can you can write your list and you have restrictions so it's not too overblown. It's not as open to abuse, but I think yeah. So there's a place for every every style of um, play in the game. And I think they do intermix and intercross with each other, as um, you were alluding to earlier, Anthony, like they're not mutually exclusive. Um, so you could have a an open play game that has points. So you could say, let's play a 2,000 point open play game um, with no restrictions on your army. So you just have a 2,000 point limit and then whatever you like, no battle lines, whatever. You can make it do whatever you like. So there's that kind of approach. Um, but I think, yeah, it sort of crosses into narrative as well. Like narrative is all about telling that story and there are scenarios available to tell those stories. And I find a lot of the um, objectives uh, that you have to achieve in narratives are more sort of like, for example, uh, what comes to mind is like the ritual. I don't know if anyone's ever played the ritual battle plan. No. Um, it's basically where one, one side is the ritualist and they're conducting this ritual and a sacrificial point at one end of the board. Then you've got the invaders and their job is to stop the ritual. And so you're coming in and you've got to defend and fight off and you roll a dice for the ritual and it, you add, it has to get up to 20 over five turns and stuff like that. So that's sort of different mechanics in victory conditions. That, and it's more about, yeah, you're creating a, a story scape about you've got to stop, got to go rescue our general or whatever, or you've got to go rescue the damsel in distress or whatever it might be. And it just, it adds that extra layer of, um, I suppose that's what narrative is, I suppose, like you lay uh, extra layers. Yeah. And that can, and that totally integrates into match play as well. Like, so the way people write their, their stories for their armies, like Andrew's an example, like, uh, there's a story in embedded into the army itself. And um, I think that's like one thing that can be overlooked sometimes in the hobby, um, but we're all in it for different reasons and it's not taking away from how, what anyone else wants to do and how they do it. But um, uh, it's just, it all depends on the individual and what their needs are and how they want to approach the game. And Age of Sigma has something for um, every type of player, I think. And, yeah, if you're kind of in match play and you're kind of feeling like, yeah, I want like there's got to be more of this, or you're feeling a bit dry because it's just the same eighteen scenarios all the time and things like that, I would really encourage you just to like just to try out some different um, battle plans that aren't in the match play uh, lexicon and just yeah, just try something else out, try a different way, a different way of approaching um, the game and just you might find that you're pleasantly surprised and have a lot of fun but uh like between tournaments when you don't have to practice scenarios or something let's go okay let's let's play a siege battle or something let's just do something different or well it's interesting and... it's interesting you say that because only today on twitter i saw some people uh claiming a feel of a feeling of burnout where um, they've been going to tournaments and, you know, there's a, a feeling that the game may be bloated with a lot of different rules and lots yeah. of just, you know, uh, people yeah, aren't completing that, yeah. games. But mm. the reality is, is that, you know, that's just one area of this game. Yeah. And there are, there, are, there are rules that allow us to play outside of match play, you know, playing in the land of Gur and having that random monster. Um, in the, I think it's in the core book. Uh, it used to be in the general's handbook. I think it's now in the core book. You can play a siege. There are yeah. rules on sieges. There are rules on these multi-man triumphant treachery battles where it could be, and we've done this before. I think Liam, you were in, in one of these games where there were six six players where it was a small force for each of us, and 
there's these amazing mechanics where I can interrupt oh, uh, uh, an opponent. Um, even if I'm not in, conf- in combat with them, um, I can interrupt them and kind of mess them up. And um, then you've got things like the, the Firestorm campaign, which is a series of ongoing mm-hmm. battles. So um, there's so many different ways to play outside of this tournament match play setting. So um, I think you've both kind of given us a good example. Um, what... What drew you guys to play outside of match play or even just outside of this tr- the, the traditional way of playing? Like what's the incentives? What what drew you to this uh, this way of I playing? Mean, for me, even as a someone that would consider themselves definitely kind of a very much a competitive Age of Sigma player, what draws me to the game ultimately is the universe that it exists mm. in. It's... Yeah. Like I, I do like I like the lore. I don't read every single book. I don't necessarily grab a battle tome and read all of the stories in it. But I still like the fundamental kind of building blocks that make this game. Of there's all these different factions. There's these like at the end of the day, it's a fantasy game. You've got all these fantasy races which are just becoming more and more fantastical compared to so how they were in the old world, like where it was your typical kind of I guess Tolkien type races of elves, dwarves etc yes they still exist even though they've been kind of recreated somewhat into dwarden and and things like that and misspelled you you now get these new ones um that become even more kind of fantastical and you've always had all the chaos demons which were much more kind of high fantasy i guess um but now with things like the ideneth deepkin it was a completely new take um using all these kind of sea creatures and i think that was one of the first armies that i saw that i was just like wow like this model release is incredible um and it's just that's what really ultimately draws me is the models for the game and then just the background for the armies i mean to me the now the fact that all of the kind of new armies get a scenery piece and they're starting to get endless spells and things like that that really sets the theme and the tone of that army and that to me is is a form of narrative like i know that if i play corn i'm kind of going in that bloodlust crazy kind of warrior love like worship skulls and and all that sort of thing i'm not just thinking i'm red dudes that run forward like yeah. nurgle i'm green yeah. dudes that walk slowly well actually probably run forward faster than anyone else but like it's the fundamental game that we play is narratively based as far as I'm concerned. And and so I do enjoy that. I like the structure of match play in terms of being able to be on a reasonable level with someone I've never met. And I also, from a brain stimulation point of view, like the list building number crunching aspect of the game. Like that's what I get a kick from in terms of match play, but it, there's still that fundamental enjoyment of, the big fantastical universe that it exists in. Like I love all the realms and, and things like that. And I, I'm always keen to explore how, like how much of those elements you can include in a game, but while still giving people that semblance of, I guess, a balanced experience, because sometimes like it's not going to be fun if someone plonks down 5,000 points versus your 1000 points and you just go, okay, let's play evenly. Cause everybody knows the result of that. So that's where, sure, you can do that kind of open or narrative where maybe one person does have 1,000 points, but it gets to keep coming back and things like that. So yeah. it's kind of endless endless attack strikes and things like that where you can use mechanics to balance uneven forces. But generally, I think you get a more enjoyable play experience if there's two roughly evenly matched armies 
that are then competing over this narratively based objective. And even the general's handbook match play scenarios, they still have a, a semblance of some sort of narrative of what you're fighting over. It's not like it's a chessboard and this just goes here and this goes here and this is it. You've, you've got this narrative of, okay, you've got these two armies that are meeting and you need to hold these two objectives um, or you need to hold like these places of power with these certain characters and things like that. So, I mean, for me, yeah, I, I like match play um, and that's the setting I choose to play in. But if match play was boring and didn't incorporate this fantasy element, then I wouldn't play the game. So it's interesting you say everything that. Narrative. Because, like, when I think about this, because um, you raise a really good point, is, like, let's say you're playing Gift from the Heavens. You know, something's dropping from the sky, and, you know, it, at, at the uh, basics of the game, we've got to fight over this objective. But what is it? What is this objective? Uh, is it a particular uh, material that uh, would change the army that I'm building and empower me to fight off... Uh, the, the beasts and or it could it be something that I could sell to the Caradron overlords and all of a sudden, you know, there's a narrative that could yes, be, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, at its core, yes, we're just playing for a objective. It's just a token on the board if if it's if, if there's nothing attached to it, isn't it? No. <laughs> but, you know, it's, like we could. Some... Sorry, Sorry, go on. Because I'm pretty sure there's some, like, object, like some scenarios where they kind of describe what the objective is fought for. Like for example, Gift of the Heavens. I think that, like at first when it got released, it wrote like a small like paragraph narrative of like the skies are like artifacts are falling down and stuff. Yeah, they're all still there. Yeah. Every every yeah. match play mission has a little paragraph at the start in italics, which sets the scene. And most people gloss over it, but it's still there. Like the game fundamentally is based on world building and mm at the end of the day games workshop wouldn't be around if they didn't create these amazing worlds that draw people in with these incredible models that make people feel like they're living this kind of fantasy element like there's a reason people choose to play this over lots of other i guess more boring kind of games so yeah and, yeah you know i i think you know for me when when the rubber really hit the road was when I think it was it was it Phil Kelly to put out the video about uh, twelve to eighteen months ago about the realms. Yeah, that um, was really good. That one, yeah, it's really that, uh, well described. It, yeah. Do you want to give? Do you want to give the for the people who haven't seen this video and maybe I should put it in the show notes below? Mm -hmm. What what was the video and like why should somebody watch it? It was one. Of, it's a video that, um, in hindsight, should have could it would have been better if it had come out right at the beginning of Age of Sigma that to really get people's head around the concept of the mortal realms and stuff like that. Like it, when it came out, it was like, yes, that describes it perfectly. Like it describes how the mortal realms interact with each other, what they're about, how they came to be just, it was just a real great rundown of, and it made sense. And it just, I think, it, yeah, like you were saying, Anthony, it just it, the, gave people traction in, in the mortal realms and, how to understand it and apply it to their own armies and laws and what and whatnot and where they where they fit in and where their army fits in to everything. So, yeah, good good work that it came out. Yeah, definitely a bit time. Um, yeah, I think it just needed it sooner. I think, um, but I think perhaps they were still trying to figure that out themselves. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it is what it is. We're here now, so that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. I mean, they they came from. The old world had existed for 40 years, right? They'd had, when Warhammer started, the old world didn't have 40 years worth of lore, right? Everyone compared this brand new setting to, oh, 
a game or a universe that's had 40 years worth of stories to build it and said oh it just doesn't it just doesn't have anything compared to the old world well yeah the old world didn't it wasn't built in a day it was it took 40 <laughs> years so i mean yeah i can't like imagine 35 years from now what the age of sigma universe is going to be like it will have been going on and on and on and there'll be so much there'll be races that are completely entrenched there'll have been races that have been created probably completely destroyed in that 30 years um and that's what i actually do really like like at the end of the day they are a miniatures company that produce novels and books and like they're like any author where the final finished book is a fraction of the total knowledge base they've written. You take something like Pottermore that J.K. Um, Rowling wrote. She she has this incredible bank of knowledge of all these like family trees and stuff like that that you never hear mentioned in the books. But she still thought about it to kind of create these realistic feeling characters um, and things like that. And that's what I really like is that the world that exists is there is a dedicated team to literally create this incredible kind of backdrop and keep developing it and make it really interesting um, so that people want to join the game and keep playing the game and people get invested in these factions. And it's not just about going, oh, cool, I just want to I want to play this army because it wrecks face. Like you'll get 2%, 1% of players that do that. Everybody else goes, oh, why are you playing Deepkin? because uh, i love them they're really cool they're like built from agony and they live under the sea and they have these really cool sea creatures it's not oh because they kill everything like okay. it, it's it just isn't for most people and like myself included if there was an army that just ruined across the like it just was the best army and just blew everything off in a turn if i didn't find it fundamentally interesting and cool i wouldn't play it yeah well it's um, like um i don't know if people who are there might be familiar with the the painting men podcast and they've talked about the um the ass clown army yeah it's like if they just build an army the miniatures are just literally clowns pulling down their pulling down their pants sho shoving their asses out at the player who's playing them but they were the, like the most hardcore like wipe everything off the table army but they you just had to paint 150 ass clowns <laughs> would people still play it it's no it's it's true there's um you know there there are chaos gods that i will not play you know uh, i started um back in the day i have a slanish demon army and i have a a, a zench army but i don't i don't identify with nurgle or um or corn and no matter how great they are you know they're breaking the meta whatever it might be like the story doesn't compel me i don't I don't i don't like the idea or you know it doesn't resonate with me cuz you know if you think about the hobby playing the game is such a small percentage of the game it's about painting building list uh you know reading about the army thinking about it that it's it's those moments and you guys are right like no matter how good a rule set is i think most people are, are drawn to the model first and foremost and that's always when someone asks us and i'm sure you guys are all the same where do i start with age of sigma it's not ghoul kings are the best right now it's what 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 um draws inspiration like yeah. liam's face but uh <laughs> but ultimately it's like you know what are you drawn to yeah which kind of like leads into like our next question is like how does creating an army differ when you try and blend a narrative into it if that makes sense so like i know for example james you've done armies now where it's like based on like having the gash around or 
like you had a coven throne and stuff in your army and stuff. So like just having like a narrative around it, like blending into it, does that affect the way you guys write armies or build armies or paint them? However, yeah, yeah definitely always. Um, like I've, I've sort of found I've gone through different phases with how I've been running my death list. So I've had a phase where I've used Neferata a lot and I've called that particular configuration Neferata's hunting party. And it always has to have Vargas in it. It always has to have obviously Neferata, um, vampire lord, zombie dragon, like it's, yeah. you know, and zombies sort of thing. So it's, it's the sort of key elements that I've found that I've had in those with Neferata's hunting party kind of, and that's a, a mode of play for me where I'll try and um, make, make sure there's like some kind of debuff happening in every phase, like whether it's bravery or uh, from the spells or whatnot. So it's all about the debuff and the blood legion of blood allegiance kind of thing in that mechanic. Um, but yeah, so the rules will inform it as well. And, but it's also, this is the theme is it's her hunting party. She's going out, she's having, having a ball, like hunting down some monsters and <laughs> yeah. prey or whatever. Um, but then yeah, recently, I've been doing Arkan and the Legion of Sacrament, and it's it's been a bit all about Arkan and his nexus of power, and and just bringing back units and just all that kind of all that death filth, and um, sending out heaps of um, endless spells. Just I like had about five endless spells in it, so that's kind of like a configuration and a mode of play or a style of play that I've really enjoyed within the Death Faction, and um, obviously in earlier iterations of my lists and tournaments, things have. It's sort of, I think that's probably why I like the Death Faction so much is because it's so broad and you can explore different modes of play and play styles within the one fa yeah. the one faction. Um, but yeah, Coven Throne, as I said, like in the Mortis Engine, like they're beautiful models. I love seeing them together on the table. So that also, you know, it influences it my narrative as well. Like I work out a way to wire these two models on the board together. And, and um, yeah, so... And, Plus the Coven Throne got some a pretty good upgrade in the latest uh, in the Legion of the Gash with with her command ability and things like that. So it's a model I'd had for a while and used. I took it to the first CanCon tournament. Um, not the most competitive choice, but it was just something I wanted in that army and that that was part of that theme and the way I was playing at the time. And it's kind of like a history of I can sort of document vaguely document where I yeah. come with my play styles and stuff. So. Yeah, coming, bring it back to the narrative. It's sort of, yeah, it does definitely does inform, but it's like my own personal narrative because the Mortal Realms gives you that opportunity to create and forge your own sort of narrative for your army within a brand new landscape. Does the realm, does like the realm rules help it? Like as in, for example, like telling that your army is from a certain realm? Um, yeah, for yeah, definitely. Um, so majority of my lists have been from Shaiish, for obvious reasons but um, yeah. i've sort of branched into i've applied hush to my arkan and my actually my nagash list over the weekend but mainly so i can get the ether quartz brooch so <laughs> yeah is that a narrative choice i don't know some people might be shaking their heads right now probably but, from um, the same store that uh people buy their ethereal amulets from yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. diversified his uh his inventory yeah. same same marketplace <laughs> yeah. Definitely the same marketplace. But I, I, I didn't buy the, the Grimgast Reapers at that marketplace either, so I, I, I wear that as a badge of pride. <laughs> Although I have been, I'm still eyeing them off. Don't worry. They'll be they'll come around. <laughs> Chris, how about you? Yeah. How about yourself? Because yeah. I know I know um corn has um smited you once when you put a um 
uh, a gaunt summoner in your corn list and <laughs> corn was not happy with uh, you putting a, ma- a magic caster in. It's a shooting corn list with magic. It was a, a shooting, shooting corn, corn list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, explain I your say, explain your narrative. Explain yourself. I was going to say, like, to be fair, even for me, someone that I'm not like I'm not a talented painter um, at all, but it, you still have to. I still have to come up with an idea for how I'm going to paint my models and what color I want to paint them. And for me, that definitely is going, okay, well, where's my theme for this? So I think back to my first army I did for Age of Sigmar, which was my Harbinger chamber for Stormcast. And that for me, it's three Vanguard wings. And so for me, it was this whole idea of, well, they are Sigmar's kind of, literally it's a Vanguard. It's a a hunting, searching kind of party that he sent one to every realm to go and kind of scout ahead. And then the whole chamber comes together. and so on the tabletop, I had to be able to distinguish between these three separate Vanguard wings in terms of gameplay. So I needed them painted differently, but also I was like, well, they are from different realms. So I did three, like three Vanguard wings in completely different schemes. So I did a crimson and um, bronze scheme and all the basing, I did lava basing because I wanted to try it out. And I was like, okay, that's the one from Akshi. So I did lava basing with kind of red and bronze armor and then i had one from azir which is my kind of standard i guess basing which is all lightning crackle so i did blue undertones on the base and then put the crackle paint over the top so it's like they've been lightning's been striking the earth and you can see those blue kind of scorches and things like that um and the armor was silver and blue to kind of be much more lightning based and then I had an army that I said was, had gone through the realm of death. So I had my death basing, which I have across every single death model I have, because for me, the way I picture the realm of death is it's one ginormous graveyard. So every single base I have, whether it's night haunt, whether it's legions, anything like that, any model that comes from the realm of death for me, I do the same basing on my fleshy quartz army. And it's literally graves upon graves upon graves. So I have, I use the gravestone markers and I create green stuff mounds and then cover it all in gravel and any model I have. So I did these, this whole Vanguard wing with the same basing that I've done on all of my fleshy quartz. I've done it on my night haunt that I've started. Um, and then the actual Stormcast themselves, I did very dark armor with purple tinges because that to me was kind of the colors of death. So I had three completely different color schemes in my army to represent these three different Vanguard wings. So not only was it distinguishable on the tabletop, but in terms of deciding on those color schemes, it was completely narratively driven. It was this yeah. comes from this realm, this comes from this realm, and this comes from this realm. And it just makes it easier for me to, to pick a color scheme. I've done the same thing with my chaos. So you mentioned my corn army and my gaunt summoner. For me, the idea of chaos that it can appear in any realm is that the magic of chaos literally permeates the realms. And so I have I use a green stuff roller for all of my chaos bases, which is just a series of dark runes. And then for all of the corn, it's all painted metallic. And then it goes corn kind of the it's the technical gem paint. So the red goes over the top to represent corn's kind of influence. Um, So it's almost like these areas of magic infused, I guess, kind of summoning that lets all the demons and stuff spill forth. So that's kind of if it's corn models, then it's the red hue of corn and then Nurgle is green and Zinch is blue. So as Liam said, I did a display board for it, which was one of the Games Workshop um, kind of realm of battle tiles divided into three painted entirely silver and then divided into three and coated equally with the red, blue and um, green technical paints to represent 
kind of the realm being taken over um, and created as summoning kind of planes for the demons of the of the three chaos gods that are kind of worship um, and that my armies come from. Um, and yeah, that, that definitely kind of influences my decision, like the narrative influences how I paint and that's based completely on the realms and the gods and things like that. So. I know, I know for myself, um, a couple of the narrative things that I've done, um, is so again, for anyone who's seen this channel before, they know I'm a diehard free people player or empire player from back in the day. Um, but in my death army, which was really my first army outside of the empire, um, I, I had created that empire free people legacy into death where my skeleton shields are all um six different um of the empire um slash free people um color schemes so like Nuln and um uh, avland and all these different colors to kind of give a little nod um i put johan you know the little running screaming guy um i think on um manfred von Car manfred von karstein um i based him on a tree and like kind of breaking through a tree to again look good but also to make it easy to transport but a halfling from a giant kid is kind of tied up so again the halflings were big in the empire and i've kind of carried that over even into my gloom spite where my troll hag has a hiding free people player which was from the fifth edition giant kit i've got johan i've got um i've got free people themes kind of through my army and uh even in border war this weekend um i i name all my characters and on my army list that I hand to my opponent, every single person is named. And I remember one opponent said to me, oh, who's Magrot? I don't, I don't recognize him from the battle tome. I'm like, no, no, no. Magrot, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the loon boss, and Cinder's the, um, the Trogoth princess or the Trogoth um, hag. That's, <laughs> that's the narrative. And yeah. uh, I go to that effort to name um, every one of my characters. And in, in some cases, the, um, the unit as well. Yeah, that's cool. See, like... Yeah, for me, my narrative would be like Pokemon. That, <laughs> like, I did do that with my um, flesh eaters. That was good fun. Uh, that was a bit of like a lunchtime joke with Spinetti, um, which came too real too quickly. Um, <laughs> but, like, for example, my Sylvaneth, where I knew that I was going to do a really dark color scheme with him, like from the Realm of Shadows. And it's funny enough because the artifact I was using at the time was from Realm of Shadows, the double ganger cloak when it was broken as all hell. Um, so like I did the whole serpent look on my trees and a lot of people were quite interested of like why I did that. And part of it was want to make a centerpiece model Durthu, like make Durthu like a proper centerpiece model. And then, um, and my branch race and stuff into like serpent spites, which I really wanted to do. And it worked really well to the point that it actually was too good to be true that the kits worked too well, but like, I kept that. Like idea of like I had a set theme, did it, and then my flesh of courts became an actual narrative meme about Pokemon. But um, like I have like when it comes to list building and stuff, I had like an inspiration and hobby idea of what I want to do to blend like a kind of a narrative into it. Even if I didn't do a Pokemon theme, I knew I would probably name all my dragons and stuff, like give them all a different name. And if Just you rewind and go on Liam's Twitter Twitter for about rewind six months, like forget the filth for the last um, recent couple of months, but you can go see um, Liam has done this amazing conversion with Durthu, which has the body of Snake Lady Marathi, Marathi. and um, that's that theme kind of ties through. And I think your branch wraiths are also snake bottoms. Yeah, they're all from the Majusai kit, 
so all from the blood sister and bloodstalker kits and stuff um and that's and i just kept it going like i wanted to do a whole shadow realm theme and since at the time realm of shadows was heavily heavily been mentioned in the narrative through marathi and deepkin and stuff and you see animals and creatures coming from the realm of shadows like from the deacon like all their sharks and their turtles and stuff um so i was like cool may as well just get this like cool like forest blend thing where the tree spirits are mixing in with like the creatures around them so like the snake idea was perfect for them couldn't really do a branch wraith out of a shark kit but um as good as i could get I'm actually a little bit sad because um, I've talked to Liam for years now about creating a realm of metal, Sylvaneth, yeah. and the, the loon curse is in the realm of metal. But, you know, thinking about like, well, you know, I don't have to go um, with this wood theme. These could be metal spikes. It could be, um, you know, changing the heads to be, you know, again, more evil, more death, you know, evil trees if it was from uh, a I different realm. I reckon if you were like, for example, since we chatted about that, seeing the Arch um, Revenant, um, like not uh, yeah, Arch Revenant, the fact that he has a metal helmet on him, you could easily just do head swaps of like free people helmets or like even the Wild Riders from the Wanderers kits, get their helmets and just kit bash stuff. And then like- My, my ghouls, my ghouls have the old Empire Knight helmets yeah. and things. So um this, yeah. Um, so let me ask, I guess then, uh, and, and, you know, one of the reasons that we have the mortally wounded, um, crew on here is I know that they've not only really big narrative, but they're actually, um, I think an inspiration, but also a real pioneer in creating the space to play, um, in a, a more narrative theme. Um, so boys, do you guys want to share a bit more about this idea and, you know, thinking about, um, like what's it all about? I think like Chris is um, really like it's an ex a massive extension of, of his hobby. Like the, the whole, like people don't know, um, Chris has written a whole scenario pack from scratch uh, for this, um, for this event and for the last two events as well. And it's a really, um, it's, it's another, it's a deep dive into another realm of the hobby, which is actually creating scenarios and putting them out there and um, running a tournament with them. I think it's um, a huge credit to you, Chris. Did you want to, talk a bit more about that process or yeah i mean obviously we're, we're like talking about we were kind of around from the start of the sydney scene and i wanted to kind of get more involved and start kind of make i basically wanted to run a tournament um to kind of have somewhere to to kick off the tournament scene in sydney so that people didn't have to travel and stuff like that and also that people would travel to sydney so it wasn't just the Sydney people traveling to Brisbane and Melbourne and things like that, but you'd also start getting people come from Brisbane to Wimber, Melbourne to come up to Sydney for, for events. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm running an event. I, I always like to be a bit different. You see that in my list writing from the start. I don't want to just do the same thing. I, I, I really don't like copying. Um, I got nothing against net lists and things like that. It's just for me, I like to do my own thing. And so that kind of carries straight through into an event. I thought, okay, I want to do something different, but I want to do something that I would have fun playing in. Um, and so I was like, okay, I, I want it to be match play focused because I think it's the easiest setting to run an event in because it gives that kind of, it gives some structure for people to rock up with roughly balanced lists, et cetera, et cetera, from the framework that GW provides rather than me. So it's kind of a setting that everyone's used to, but 
something a bit different. So we're not doing kind of the same thing. So I go, okay, well, I can change the scenarios we're playing. So then for me, it's like, okay, I want to write some new scenarios. So then I don't want to just do five completely disjointed random kind of scenarios. So immediately I'm going, okay, I want to, how do I join them? And so then I'm thinking of a narrative to kind of flow these five kind of missions together. And for certainly from the first year, I, I kind of went through and I came, I had this idea of traveling through the realms, through different realm gates and trying to get to Azir and trying to reclaim these kind of shards of creation. Um, and, and so I kind of started just developing missions. So you kind of had these four shards of creation. So there was the first four missions. Each one was based around a shard and they were of the basic elements of kind of fire, earth, air, water that a lot of people would be familiar with, but it gave me this kind of narrative kind of basis to start writing things around, but it let me write a bit. I wrote probably a page, page and a half of, of narrative actually between each of the scenarios as well. So you could, um, actually read through. And for me, that was a bit of creative writing that I'd never really done before. Um, but it was something that I was quite passionate about. And I wanted people to be able to understand this event that they were coming into and uh, understand these missions so that they could get on board with that narrative. And maybe people would bring kind of carry out their own stories or they'd have their own kind of like what was their goal of the leader of their war band and, and things like that. And there was very much a, um, awareness that there's the four grand alliances as well and so you had i had different outcomes that could happen based on whether you were from order or chaos or destruction um and that first year was probably a lot more um narrative than the second year and certainly the third year um because based on feedback from people it's kind of it was really fun but again it's people see it's a match play event and so most of the feedback you get is people really enjoyed the narrative, but they don't like the random elements because the more random elements you have, it does take away from that match play fairness kind of feeling. People don't like things happening to... Um, was it, wasn't the first year Nagash comes in and just auto-slain your hero? Yeah, that was one of them. Yeah, I remember that. And, and, and so there were some things where based on the combination, you got a good effect. Others, you might just lose your general. And... And it was things like that, that I took that feedback on board and everyone still said they had a really great time, but I was asking for feedback because I want people to enjoy the event as much as possible. And how can I improve? Because I don't want to just assume I always know best and just do the same old things. So people gave that feedback of, no, we really like the narrative element, but please make it a bit more balanced. And so basically every year that's been my thing is okay. Sydney slaughter is kind of my, our event now, like James is back to help. Um, and every year, like Sydney Slaughter will be, it won't be your standard match play general's handbook scenarios. It will be match play. It will try to be as balanced as possible, but it's, it's always going to have some narrative element to it to, to hopefully get people a bit more invested and, and not feel that kind of tournament fatigue of, oh, we've been playing under this for a year. Do I want to keep doing this? Um, it's something a bit different and. Every year, everyone that's come said it's really fun. And hopefully every year I'm improving it and making it more streamlined. I've got more people play testing the pack and stuff this year. And all the feedback I've had, um, probably my harshest critique is Dan Brewer, because he's very much a, I want things to be even. I don't like random elements. And his critique this year is that it's the best pack I've written from a match play perspective. Um, 
but still having a narrative aspect in it. But it's still it's still narratively based. There's not a story that links everything through this year. It's five separate scenarios, but they're all based on basically recent released battle tomes. So anyone that's kind of you're getting that hype of oh yeah, there's the new Skaven around and there's the Gloom Spites and they're really cool and. I kind of like that myself and I was like oh yeah the flesh eaters are out and so I've basically written these five scenarios around as soon as you look at them you'll go oh yeah that's cool that's the Skaven scenario and that's the gloom spite scenario so you immediately kind of get this feeling of of how it should feel and then I've added the elements from malign sorcery and things like that of the realmscape features and realm magic and command abilities but other than that, stripped all of that away. So everything you need is on one page. It's on this scenario. It's not overly complex. It's not gonna- You don't um, need eight books to play. Yeah, you need this one page that's everything's on there. This is how you play. There's one element, nothing's too crazy. Nothing's over the top. It's not gonna throw it out of balance, but it gives people something hopefully enjoyable and a, a bit different to play. I think if I, if, if I, if I break down like what I'm hearing, um... So one, we're talking about Sydney Slaughter, which is a, an event that Chris has run. This is the third year um, consecutively that you've run this this uh, blended, I don't want to say it's a narrative event. It's not a match play event. It's really a blended experience, which um, has been popular every year. I've really enjoyed. Um, around the world, there has been so many of these blended narrative match play events, you know, whether it's uh, last year, there was a coalescence malign portents kind of global campaign that was put on by the Neo community. You've had, um, you know, the likes of Raw, which happens in, uh, I think the Raw is in the UK. Nova happens in um, in the America, uh, Virginia, I think it is. Um, some things are, are a series. So I remember when I ran coalescence malign portents, you started off with a small force and it kind of grew and grew and grew and there was something that tied within each other. And, um, but then there's other things where I think of like Sydney, Sydney, um, Sydney slaughter the first year where, uh, after the campaign, I actually wrote up, I don't know if you remember this, Chris, I wrote up a detailed report that my general would have, um, his bird's eye view of every battle, um, I didn't get any rewards for it. It was never a part of the pack, but I felt compelled that this is my story. This is my experience and I wanted to document it. Yeah. And that's something that was actually really cool to read that back. Like I, I did read, read those through and, and things like, like Andrew Bigwood, I, I, I know turned up as well. And he had his kind of free city of molten heart. And I read all of that and it's just really cool to go to see the people that really take on, you can see the people that, really are narratively driven in the hobby um but also the really top kind of match play gamers came along as well but you can still they're still really enjoying the background and the setting they're not just like yeah i smashed my opponent it was oh yeah it was really fun when i kind of like i grabbed the um like i grabbed the artifact and then this happened and it was cool to hear people kind of retelling their stories with a sort of narrative focus which is yeah it's enjoyable well, I remember Paul Grixty in his battle, you know, I think there were, I can't remember like round five, there was, there was like this 50-50 call and it was like, Alario would heal you or Nagash would like smite you. And, you know, yeah. I was lucky to have uh, Alario help me and heal up my Carmine dragon. But then I remember Paul had um, killed his general. And in a match play environment, you crack the shits. You just like, this random element has just ruined my plans. But in a narrative, the the victory isn't necessarily the reward it's the story and it's the tale and it's the 
it's these moments like James, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing you like giggle and laugh. And I'm sure you've got many of these where that, like, you know, your army defies the odds or a role that should have happened, didn't happen. And, you know, there's these consequences and you got something for me. It's when you're cheering for your opponent to win their roles and to do well. <laughs> it's like, I think that's like, I, you know, playing match play events, but I still, I'm still in a narrative headspace because I love what's happening on the board. Like I'll be, for example, I'll, I'll want, I want that unit to charge my my guys just so they can, just so I can see them fight. Or I'll, I'll send, I'll send my general at their general so we can have a big general fight. So sort of thing. it's not so much based around the objective. It's more about okay, let's let's have a let's have a um a duel in the middle of the board or something like that. Like, and yeah, when people miss their they miss their saves or whatever. I'm like, I'm, I sometimes I just feel just as disappointed about it as as they do because it's it's I'm so immersed in what's happening on the field. It's not about him versus me. It's about our armies and we're telling this story now. And even though it's in that match play environment, I still kind of just find myself defaulting into that mindset, which is probably why I don't like top podium every every tournament. But um, it, it doesn't bother me because it's more about the fun for me. Um, yeah, and I suppose that's just. I, yeah. I remember, I think it was like the first year, yeah, first year, Dispossessed Dan had a particular, uh, com- we, he wrote a particular command ability that he could use <laughs> that it makes him get like this amazing buff, but he would probably die if he did it. <laughs> and I remember he just did not care. He was like four beers down, like in that one game. And he was like, I'm going to do this and this and this. And you could just hear the amazing stories out of this one little dwarf character just running around, slaying shit. And he goes, yeah, this is how it should be. And then he was, like, going up against, like, top armies, like, top filthy, um, like, stormcast armies or whatever. And he's like, I don't give a crap. Let's do this. And he was just running around. This one dwarf is just running around the battlefield with his artifact all buffed up. He's probably going to die after he does this and just, like, spun around, killed some shit, and then just went, cool, awesome, he's dead, he's done his part, and he just, even though he was his general, and he probably needed it for most of the game, he just goes, don't care, totally worth, don't care. <laughs> yeah. it's funny, he was yeah, like, I literally remember that, because it was a story of Dan saying, I'm going to take it every single turn I can until I die, and he <laughs> played Rob, he played Rob, um, Remus, Rob Reimers, Star yeah. Drake, and he... I think it was a Slayer, it was either an Unforged or a Warden King, and he literally was like okay i'm gonna use it because it let it was like a thing that let him run and charge and he could double it up to go further or double it but on a two up like every time he'd use it it would do d6 mortal wounds and (laughs) he was so the odds of him surviving were like tiny but it was like i don't care and somehow he survived and he ran like 24 inches across the board in a single turn with this slayer got like double the attacks and he literally killed rob star drake and it was just this crazy story that Dan was like so happy about. And yeah. he was like, I don't care. Like this Slayer is like taking this rune. He's like jammed it into his chest. Doesn't care if he's going to die. And it worked. He like took out this Star Drake and everything. It was, it was, and it was really Epic. cool. Yeah. And that, and as for anyone who's listening, this is when Star Drakes were amazing. Like, like Star Drakes were like auto included in the Stormcast. So like the fact that this like fire, like Slayer just ran around just spun its axes around and just killed it. And you could just see Rob's face was like, I'm also, I'm super impressed by this. But like even Rob sad. enjoyed it. That was the thing. Yeah. Like <laughs> Rob had his Star Trek taken off by yeah. a little Slayer and he, he enjoyed it as well. It was funny. And I yeah, think here's- this, is the, this is the power of narrative and open play where, you know, if you were to ask me about my five, my six CanCon games that happened literally three months ago or four months ago, I would struggle. 
But yeah. here we are yeah. retelling tales from Sydney Slaughter that happened three years ago. You know, I remember the game that I had with Liam in this um, Zench's um, oh. Crystal Palace where the board was split up into six and the, and the only way you could get between port, yeah. uh, between of the the, uh, the rooms was going through a little portal and you could shoot through the portal. Yes. Sometimes the portal would shoot back at you. Oh. If you cast magic, yeah. it could come back at you or it could actually be even more powerful coming through it. Yeah, that's a um, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I remember this. I remember I got my branch witch to cast a spell like i think it was like arcane bolt it was arcane bolt i remember it was arcane bolt this is turn and, one this is turn, turn one. one i hadn't removed the model yet turn one and on a roll of a six it doubles the damage i think it did i did it did like it d6 oh yeah bolt. it doubled and this was when arcane bolt always did d3 it yeah. so it doubled the damage and i was like okay i'm gonna pick this portal and i'm gonna do this and i rolled a six and i was like so it's double the damage and all i had to roll was a five or a six and i was like cool yeah your general's dead and magro's face was just completely like my general's dead my my general's dead and i was just like so that happened <laughs> it was actually, actually that same scenario then like um i think i was i was playing it at home i think i was playing against you chris or oh, it might have been brent i'm not sure but we, um arkin sent a, a curse of years yeah. through the portals against you yeah 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 well, i think it was on the lead up and uh yeah, I can send Curse of Years through the portal. I rolled the one where it bounces back at you. I rolled a one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I can, I can Curse of Years through the portal, bounces back in, and I proceeded to roll a perfect Curse of Years uh, situation down to nothing, and he just literally and just zapped himself off the board. Yeah. And I, <laughs> so and I that happened. That happened. <laughs> that was revenge. And, and I remember the there was like some, I remember there was like one scenario as well. We'll go, we'll get back into like talking about more, but I remember this one scenario. It was like Corn's Arena where yeah. like oh, yeah. anyone, anyone who was backboarding was going to get punished. And I remember this was the biggest point that Chris had I to got, make. I got punished because I got punished by Ash McEwen's uh, <laughs> Iron Jaws in uh, a combat scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like an army where like if you have shooting, you are going to get punished for it. So anyone who's listening, because I can see Scrivo, Bill, and a few other from overseas, we'll try and link you to the pack most likely within this. And if you guys want to play them, it was really fun. But like, I remember, on the website, so I remember this one that. army. I remember it was like, I remember my army was like, cool. Sylvan have usually shot far back with great bows and stuff. And like we were like safe. And I just remember I got punished so badly. I was like, yeah, cool. My army's going to die from this. And everyone's army is just like, yeah, we literally have to, like, it was a bloodbath in the middle, which was the whole point of the scenario was Chris and you, James, wanted, <laughs> wanted a bloodbath in the middle. And it was just awesome that that narrative scenario would punish anyone who was being a coward. And yeah. then, like, when you <laughs> go in, you still get punished. You're still probably going to get tabled. But, hell, it was a great scenario. So, um, and that's just, like, where, like, custom scenarios at and I remember it was like my, I think it was like the first year of, it was like still within the first year of me playing like competitive AOS and stuff that there was like, it was just such a fret, bre like fresh breath of air of just like something different, which was cool. And, and we've, and we've come, we've come a long way. If you look at every single battle time that's been released, there is at least one narrative st style, um, a scenario. Yeah. In yeah. the Malign Portents book, not Malign Sorcery, Malign Portents, there are scenarios in general in the um, General's Handbook. There, oh, there's there's all these resources that yeah. you don't have to do what Chris has done, which is created custom scenarios. There is stuff that's off the shelf, ready to go, uh, and all it takes is you and your opponent having a discussion. Like, right, and I know Deke 
Deke and I are dying to play a game with Flesh Eater Quartz and, um, and Gloom Spite because in the narrative, these guys work together and, uh, they, there's, um, there's a, there's a little bit between the Bad Moon and the Flesh Eater Quartz and, you know, we want to explore this narrative, but you could put any two forces together and go, right, like, why are we meeting? What's it all about? And that's what makes this powerful. And I think what I'm hearing from everyone is that there's just great stories. Um, yeah. Win, lose, or draw. It's not about the trophies. It's not about the masters or ETC points. It's about having great stories off the back. So I want to ask you guys, especially the, the more uh, mortally wounded crew, is if you go to an event like Sydney Slaughter, what can you expect as a player? You expect a to make weekend. great memories. <laughs> you expect to have. You can expect to be telling stories about that weekend three years in three years' time at least or more. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'll you'll get a good match play experience. Like it is definitely a match play event. Um, especially this year, it's more match play than it's been previously. But you will get those stories. You'll get a chance to play something a bit different. Um, fun scenarios, different deployments different realm magic um things like that you'll get you get to drink a lot you'll get a big hall to play in um you'll get to meet loads of new people um you'll get a whole painting competition as well in the evening which is something i want the event to be not just a gaming event um i know there's a lot of painters out there that actually they're painters before they're gamers and they go to events solely to try and win the painting awards and they have to play for the weekend because you have to enter the event in order to win, um, to enter painting competitions. So that's something that I wanted to kind of make a bigger aspect of, of, of my event as well. And so it's something I'd started last year and, and carrying on this year where there's a separate painting competition and you don't have to enter models from your army. You can bring anything you've worked on. Um, so you can, there's four different categories. You've got hero, monster, unit, um, and there's an open category, which can be anything as long as it's fantasy based, but it, it, it lets people that are predominantly painters bring anything that they might be their absolute pride and joy that they've worked on, but they don't have to take necessarily a weaker list or something that they don't enjoy playing because it doesn't have to be in your army, but you can still enter it in the competition. Um, is it, is it trivia again to make Liam be embarrassed? There may be trivia. It's not confirmed yet um we'll we'll see but there was trivia last year but um i think yeah it'll just be a, it should just be a fun weekend there's there's a private bar that's going to be staffed all weekend um big space loads of people the table should look great we've got loads of mats um buffet, food buffet yeah lunch is provided so um yeah it should just be a great experience um it'll be a nice big space and yeah hopefully a place to play some fun different games I'm actually going to pull up. I'm going to pull up the pack right now, so um, now, people might want to. While we look at the pack, um, now is there a particular event around the world that inspired you to do this, Chris and James? Like a particular Probably one in the, UK. The, the the first year would have been South Coast, yeah. which was a big event, which is very much billed as being a big match play event that yep. people want. That the competitive people, it's on their list of ones to try and win. But you also always get those big narrative armies because they generally always did custom. Certainly in the previous years, they did custom scenarios um, that Russ um, had written. And for me, kind of the 
getting into the hobby and when I moved over here, started listening to podcasts, kind of Heel and Hammer, Face Hammer, they were some of the big ones. And so I heard about the event and it was an event that I was like, that would be so cool to play in. And so, like I say, putting on my own event, I was like, I want to run an event I would want to play in and I want to play in South Coast. And hopefully one year I can get over there and go play because unfortunately when I lived in the UK, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't really know about the independent kind of tournament scene. I wasn't, to be honest, I was really bad at Warhammer and only played with a couple of friends. Um, Age of Sigmar's completely changed that since moving here. Um, so, but now I'd love to go to a, a South Coast. I never went when I lived there, but now I live the other side of the world. It's it's an event I'd love to travel to and, and go to one year. So yeah, probably um, definitely South Coast is is the sort of event that I based this on but i think i've gone further i think if anything they've stepped away from the the narrative kind of focus for a more general match play experience so this is the pack by the way if you if uh, people are wondering what i'm randomly scrolling through and i think uh when you when you look at something like this and again i recognize not everyone uh who's watching is from australia and there are plenty of events like sydney slaughter sydney slaughter is, is quite unique in the way chris builds it but if you are looking for a non-traditional match play event if you're looking for something that's a little bit different like a raw like a nova um uh i think luke um luke uh dad hammer is going to be running something in australia as well there are these narrative style uh animosity i think is another one that's coming up there are ways to play and build your army even even chatting with your your local games club to have a chat to say who wants to pick up a narrative um, you know, draw inspiration from a book or a realm. Um, Chris, is there anything in particular you'd want to call out from, from a pack? Um, I've definitely tried to split the gaming from the painting, from the sportsmanship uh, this year. So the gaming awards will be based on your gaming performance. But at the same time, I very much believe that good sportsmanship is a huge integral and very important part of the game um, for the enjoyment of everybody. And so splitting out best sports, I've given it three awards. So there's a first, second and third this year. Um, so everyone will make a first, second and third preference vote. Actually, I might pause you there as well. Like while we're on the page of um, of your sponsor Pro Painted, you can see here that there are what, 18 different um, best in faction. So all of a sudden, to me, that's very different to a traditional from a, a match play event where you'd normally reward first, second, third, and last. Yeah, again, so as you say, we're really lucky that Pro Painted Studios have come on board as one of our sponsors and quick, they create. Quick question, Chris. Yep. If the Sylvaneth book comes out, will there be new tokens? <laughs> they're, unfortunately, they're the ones that are being provided. So it'll just, it'll be the. 18 I'll, currently I'll produced token sets um, that are listed. But yeah, it means that there, there's a prize to give out to 18 people that come along, that put each person that performs the best in those factions, they'll get those prizes. Um, and that's in addition to any of the actual trophies and main awards that they might win for placing first, second, third, best death, best order, etc. Now, whatever particular person was going to run like, let's say Gordrak in a, with some gloom spite, right? Would they, but like the army's 90% gloom spite, right? But like, would they be able to get the gloom spite award? If, if I, I, didn't set, I didn't set this up by the way, this is, 
this this is this is all Liam here. So I know he's trying for, to ambush me, and I'm not just, having it. So just for clarity, so <laughs> I, clarity, I just, doing, so Liam, know. Liam, stop talking, stop talking. So I'm building Grotrak, and you can see that he has the face of a Mangalusquig, and instead of Gordrak on top, we have um, we have a Scar Scar the the Loon Boss, <laughs> with his little chain. So I can't bring him in a I can't bring him in Gloom Spite, but. He's in my narrative. He, he's great, but if the list is mixed destruction, then unfortunately no. Because Gordrak I didn't set this up, by the way. Gordrak is 500 on points, so that's not 10% of an army, Liam. That's 25%. Who cares? It's still cool. <laughs> it would be unfair to the Gloom Spike players. Uh, sorry, Magro, I did try to help you out. That's all right. That, that was unplanned. But I think, uh, again, like going back, going back to the original points... Um, you know, events like Sydney Slaughter are uh, are you not aren't your traditional tournaments? They are games where you can explore the world. Um, I've seen great examples where people just pick one realm, and you know they go to great great lengths of theming tables to be like that realm, or they create custom rules for that realm. Um, uh, I think it, oh, who was it? Um, Somebody over in the UK is basing their whole um, event around the Realm of Beasts and their trophies are uh, Chris Tomlin. I think it is. Chris Tomlin ran an event recently, um, the same week as the Justice GT. And was the, it um, no, not Blackout. He had another one. It was, it was purely around the Realm of Beasts and his awards were uh, were, um, were written up for Beast Seal type awards, like the names the scenarios, the way even like the, the list composition and like allowing, I think it was additional behemoths or there was some type of um, scenarios that were kind of like built around this bestial land of Gur. So I think um, there are so many different ways of playing that if we're just playing match play, we're, we're um, really limiting ourselves. It's like going to a buffet and eating the same, the same dish every bu every buffet, but there's so many other options available. 100%. Yeah. Just just quickly going to say this now, uh, Bad Moon Cafe over in London, which is like a place that I definitely have on my bucket list to go to, they are doing one-day events set in Pacific realms, predetermined. So they have like one tournament in the Realm of Fire, Realm of Thing, just for a build of a narrative. And seeing that kind of cool stuff is like awesome to see, which is cool. So thanks, Scrivo. But um. I wonder how many yep. get. I wonder how many Nagashes and spell balls turn up in the uh, Ulgu <laughs> theme tawny. Yes. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah. Was it um? So yeah, because yeah, so pretty much. It's cool that it's like your first year was inspired by South Coast, as we brought up. Um, now this year you brought said it's inspired by the new releases. What was the second year inspired by? Was it by a book? Oh yes, that's right. Oh, by the way, I'm just bringing up the, pl the oh, place yeah, so for the new one. Yes, so the, the second year was all inspired um, by a book series I was reading, which was um, – oh, my mind's just gone blank now. It was um, a book that even a few other people knew, and this is a funny thing. It, it's a book that people thought the Stormcast were based on. The Stormlight or something? Uh, the, the Stormlight Archive yeah. series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, um, yeah, it was a series that I was um, reading at the time, and uh, I, I actually – started reading to them because other podcasters i think it was russ veal and byron from facehammer were talking about saying how great they are and i think chris tomlin as well and so from that i was like okay i want to check out these books 
and then read them and yeah totally there's so much in there that you can read and be like wow this this really feels like stormcast are based on 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 this stuff and so that was that was my idea that was what i was really pumped for um in that in that second year was was stormlight archive and it got my narrative juices flowing and i wrote the whole kind of pack and five scenarios all about that um that all kind of had that theme in it and it was cool getting a few messages from people saying oh cool that you like stormlight archive and and things like that so now something really cool so magra can you go back up quickly and this is by the way this is this is a sydney slaughter pack and, and, and... this is a slaughter pack but as some people can see here all your scenarios all look very similar to things that we see in the ghb now if you look at the where the objectives are however they play differently is that correct yeah, I mean, some of them, for example, spawning pools is one of them, where if you look at it and you read it through, you'll see that it's actually very similar to... Um, Gorge Earth or Better Part of Valor. To, yeah, to Better Part of Valor. But I have I know that there's a few issues that people have with that, with that scenario, which I, the fact that it's a custom scenario, I've changed. So hopefully those issues don't appear and people have more fun than they might play playing better part of valor so spawning pools is already known as the better better part of valor um so we'll, we'll yeah I, i'm trying to make a match play type experience that has narrative driven but that people find as enjoyable as possible yep. and some of the general's handbook scenarios i think are really great scenarios to play and some of them I think just needed a slight tweak or I just wanted to change them just a little bit. So a few of them will feel quite familiar to existing scenarios. And then some of them are completely new, like the Norholes. Yeah, so so it's not a huge stretch if you haven't had enough time to practice all the game, all the scenarios to death, pretty much. Like you've got, it's it's not a huge leap to to jump into the mindset for these scenarios. But if, uh, Anthony, if you don't mind um, scrolling down to Valley of Death. Yeah. Is that what you're going to talk about, Liam? I was going to say, like, Valley of Death, I saw looked like focal points. Is that right? It's um, the way that Valley of Death... Oh, no, no. Total I, commitment. I, I played this scenario with um with Brad, his free people versus my um Arkan list, I think it was. But um, So you've got your two deployments opposite each other, and there's there's this race to these opposite objectives over on the other side of the board. So you've got to kind of guard your objective in front of you because you, you can go try and take your the guy... Your, your opposite objective at the same time you've got this stuff over over on the other end of the field that you've got to race over as well so yeah you kind of have this punch up and then you're both sort of screaming to get the other one so it was a really fun game a really fun um like mechanic within that scenario i think a lot of people are going to really enjoy this one when i see this i think to myself how the hell are all my four big dragons going to fit in deployment oh yeah that's right that's right because there is um there's rules with uh, if you're within six inches of the battle edge, I think it is. They definitely it's... will fit. It's just you have to decide <laughs> where certain things go because if you're at the edges of the battlefield, there's chance that you might get yeah. you might take mortal wounds from the spirits attacking from the valley's edge. Yeah. Now, last year, <laughs> I remember I forgot what scenario it was. It was a hero sniping scenario where it was pretty much all the heroes have to die. Um, where your deployment was circ half semicircle. And I remember, I think it was like Peter's army was like, it can't actually physically fit in deployment. It was one of those things where it, <laughs> it could have fit if he literally had to make it fit. Um, but I just said, look, if physically your army can't fit, then you just expand the deployment zone by the minimum distance necessary to make it fit. 
but I just didn't want people being like, well, I want to put it in this exact square. So you need to change it if there was space to fit it. It's like, I want all of yeah. the scenarios to feel different. The one thing I, I do find is a lot of the deployments at the moment are extremely similar. You basically have one mission where you play lengthways, but everything else is pretty much just across the like table. This, like this a is a great example. If you look at this, like there are no, there is no scenario that we're currently playing that has a, des a deployment map like this. And kind of say, I really wish they were ones like that because I reckon the fact that there's one in the middle, like I'm so excited, but it's literally going to be like a rat race to that objective. And it's going to be a massive bloodbath and pretty much whoever wins that middle objective has won the game. <laughs> It'll be great. And it's going to be a lot of combat. <laughs> well, that's so, yeah. the thing. That one is your one is obviously easy to hold. So it's because it's all, you're already starting around it. So it's worth one, the one in no man's land is kind of in between you so that's worth two and then if you can get your opponents which obviously should be the hardest one because it's in their territory it's worth three so um yeah you've got yeah, that kind I, of do i try and hold mine in the middle or do i try and try and push for my opponents um so all of them ask for something a little bit different as well so i try and encourage balance across list design as well through my scenarios so there's much more of a mix in terms of um scenarios where heroes score or heroes are worth more or even artillery or war machines are worth more um that's also a mechanic i like to play with to try and encourage more balanced i guess armies yeah. rather than very polarized lists yeah well i'm super excited i know we've practiced a couple of games uh one game we didn't really practice because you put your whole army in front and i killed it but um <laughs> Uh, but we did have a second game and it was a much more like to the point, which was cool. Um, yeah, I think I practiced the bad moon with Ash with his nine horn. And I was thought it was really cool that like, even though I tabled him, he had like two units left. And no matter where the moon went, he Not could. Liam understands the concept of tabling someone. But... Oh, no, no. Pretty much he had like two units left and he knew that like, <laughs> if I won the priority, I would have tabled him. And I remember no matter where the moon went he might have had a chance and the fact that the moon didn't go where it was it was a bit random but like i had most of the objectives which is like smart play because my monsters ate him but it was cool that like the objectives were like the moon was shining at the objective where his unit was he goes i actually have a chance so it was like yeah and he like won the scenario and like held it back a bit but it was really cool that like that randomness can get someone who's having like a bloodbath, still have a chance, which was really cool. So, you go. I was just saying, it was just really cool and kind of like builds that narrative idea that like this one unit of heroic Nighthorn, I mean, like, we're, we're at the objective where the bad moon is shining. We're going to like take this home, which I thought was really cool. So, I'm going to ask what were the boys a question each, um, and then we'll kind of start wrapping things up. Um, Chris, I'm going to ask you first. If I'm interested in playing um, a, 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 a scenario, sorry, a battle, a battle plan. Thanks, John. Uh, if I want to play a battle plan uh, that that's not match play, and maybe my games club is uh, very much match play focused, two thousand points. What's some advice you'd give me to maybe get my group playing, or at least uh, you know, open to to these these type of scenarios that they're unfamiliar with or even building an army a little bit different? I mean, 
not to try and promote my own thing, but I do think you could take this year's pack. Um, it's on the website, so anyone can just go and um, go and find the pack and download the PDF um, through mortallywoundedpodcast.com under events. Um, you'll find the packs from all three years, in fact. Um, and just say, look, this is something that you can give to them and say, everything you need is on here. It should look extremely familiar to anyone that plays match play, because as I say, it's the pack's been done with the general's handbook kind of feeling the same wording, the same objective control um, kind of layout. So they should take it and feel like they're playing a normal type scenario. Um, you could take one of the ones that is basically better, better part of Valor, so to say, or a slightly improved um, or slightly different rather kind of focal points, um, which has literally it's the setup for focal points apart from the middle objective can only be controlled by heroes. So it's kind of a mix of focal points and places of power. Um, but you, you you could give them one of these scenarios and say, can we can we play this? Because it, it feels like a match play kind of scenario. Um, or to be honest, if if your group just is dead set against it, I'd always just reach out through the Sydney page. If you're based in Sydney on Facebook, there'll always be people that will just jump on a type of game. If you say what you, you're looking for, there'll be someone there that yeah. will be more than happy to play you. Um, I mean, there's the, there's the Sydney League going on at the moment, which takes, I think, pretty much any type of game. Like there's people playing like skirmish games and stuff, I think, leading into it and correct me if I'm wrong, Liam, but you, you'll find people that like narrative, skirmish, anything, um, and they'll play something different. I think you just have to join Facebook, join Twitter. Like social media is so good for building those kind of gaming groups and finding new friends. If, if you're in a small group and people just don't want a, a bar of it, then just reach out to other people and kind of expand that group. But I would say that these are kind of good scenarios that you can use, but also like you've already mentioned, Anthony, look through the battle tomes. Um, and there's, there's those kind of narrative based scenarios that, that tell a story. And if you've got a mate that absolutely loves his type of army and he, he loves the story of his army, even though he's a hardcore match play gamer, why don't you suggest a battle plan from his battle tome? Because it's going to be, it's going to revolve around his army. And if you've got another army and you can flex it, then you, you'll probably get some buy-in. Great. Yeah. And James, if you were going to, um, so, uh, you know, I'm interested, uh, I'm at the games club and you, you're trying to explain to me a little bit about narrative and open and, you know, trying to expand my mind a little bit. Cause I find often people aren't necessarily against it, but it's a very unfamiliar way. And, you know, mm. you've got to explain and like sell the sizzle. Yeah. How would you, how would I sell the sizzle to my games club and on, on playing this type of game? Well, I guess, um, you would just engage with people, I suppose, like, uh, just talk about past game experiences. Like we've been, we've talked about our games, um, you know, our memories from different games, things like that we've had over the years. And you kind of just, I guess, just build an excitement um for it like with your own enthusiasm i guess if you can kind of get that fire and they can catch with them as well that's just probably on a more of a you know a, a different level but um sort of practically i suppose i would say hey um let's 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 just try this scenario out today let's um like i'd probably get one out of the the core books or you know one of the narrative scenarios and say hey let's let's have a look at this and would you be willing just to give it a crack and let's 
let's just sit down and throw some dice like no strings attached if you don't like it cool if you you might find that you really love it um yeah it's i don't, I don't know just i think it's just more about the engagement you have with the people around you and and your enthusiasm for it i think is what can help um push it over the line for people anything you'd add to that liam yeah like i know from when i have someone new or like trying to get into something simple that's not um like i don't know like try not to pretty much like trying to get out of like match play scenarios or anything like that because i know people saying it's bloated but i know for someone like for example who's new trying to get into it i always do like a simple like three ejectors in the middle something simple like that but i've never but now since you've mentioned it i do want to start probably looking at more the like battle plans is it battle plans or scenarios i'm so used to saying battle, scenarios. it's, it's battle, battle plans yeah <laughs> it's scenario in my head so sorry scrivo but um uh <laughs> start doing the ones that are like in the battle um battle times like i know there was a really cool one with flesh eaters like i think it was was this one or the last one where there was one where it's like you it's called like feast like it's like hunting day where like your enemy is in the middle in a circle and then like you have to roll off where your flesh eater courts are coming on the board like stuff like that like would be so much more like you still keep a match play in a way with um like points wise but the actual scenario it's like your opponent has to try and escape and stuff like that like cool storylines like similar to what james said from the start of the show hearing because i remember you did a battle like did a photo story of that battle report with your mates beastman and stuff where you had like ruins and stuff yeah yes yeah that's the one so like doing stuff like that i remember when you posted that i literally said to you i remember if i could find that post i literally said it would be really cool to be a part of this kind of cool narrative thing because yeah. that kind of stuff was really cool to see so for me well, if I, it's funny you say that because i'm actually playing with my phone not because i'm a jerk and not paying attention but because you know that's that's a really interesting way of of, of also creating a narrative is taking oh, yeah. photos and sharing stories whether it's on social using an app like i use it's called this is a comic book app where you can like write captions and um, again, like bring this story to life, um, do little interviews from like, you know, what's happened and create your own battle report. Um, there's a lot of crazy fun things you can do to make this real, make this a real story as opposed to just, um, you know, just playing a game. Yeah. Just say, they just want to do something different today. Been looking at this scenario. Let's, let's give it a crack and sure. Mate, who's the worst thing they're going to do is say no. Uh, I'd say if you make to... it, if you you can always do one of the ones that is the odds are very much against you. If you get your butt kicked and you let your mate kick your butt by having five times the amount of stuff you've got, trust me, they'll have fun. <laughs> yeah. um, I think the one thing I know the one thing that most people were excited for was like malign portent scenarios, as we brought up earlier. Like some people, like no one really plays them, but I know that when the book first came out. A lot of people did play them, and that was the first time when we experimented like realm features and stuff or something. Similar. Command points. Command. This was that was really the first in introduction to command points as well. I yeah. remember Deke and I really going through that, and it was awesome. Yeah. So like that kind of thing was really cool to experiment with. So like if people want to get into it, that book is like twenty five dollars, and I'm pretty sure it's cheaper on the web store. Just grab it, have a play with like I think it was like one about the purple sun or something or Chain something. Colossus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where you literally could just play that and have a ball and like, and that, and that's match play, but also got a narrative to it. 
that's malign sorcery, but yes, it in um, malign portents does have a bunch of of stories. Yeah, um, this has been fascinating, and I think um, people who are watching, I can see the chat's been going off. I think you know, if I was to summarize, you know, match play narrative, they're not mutually exclusive. No, nope. you can you can have a competitive narrative game as much as you can bring narrative into a competitive game, and uh, people I found are very curious on a narrative and you know it's not about you forcing your narrative on somebody but you know tips like james has said around you know having a little a little one pager on the story of your army i know andrew bigwood and yourself do that really well uh i think it was travis or somebody um when they went to south coast gt the way they did their army list you know it was very much like a gardening book for sylvaneth um you know i saw ben johnson did like a very bloody one for corn the other the other week um, there are different ways that you can create a narrative and bring narrative to your game so that uh, you create a story outside of just a, I want to beat you and I want to kill as much of your army as possible. Um, and I think it's those moments that we kind of cherish and win, lose or draw, we both have fun. Yeah. You could even do something like, um, I know I've done this a few times, especially in the earlier times of Age of Sigma, where I just loved the battle so much that I wrote a short story about that battle and gave it to my opponent afterwards as well, like for them as a keepsake for that that game that we had. So it's just a, there's so many different ways you can get around it. If you've got a bit of a, a creative writing um, part of you that wants to come out, then here's another opportunity to scratch that itch and also really engage the people that you play as well. Actually, just while we're wrapping up, you've just reminded me of something that Dan, Dispossessed Dan or Dan Say had done at BrizCon two, three years ago, the very first BrizCon. I remember he bought uh, some some uh, objective markers. He bought an objective marker for each of his opponents and he gave it to them as a gift. And it was all about a grudge. So if you, if you beat me, you get to keep the token and you're now in my book of grudges and I want that back. So I want to have another game with you in the future. And as a dwarf player, as an, a narrative, as a little token of friendship, I thought that was awesome. See, for me, the only people I get grudged against are people who really have a grudge against me. Which is half of Australia. <laughs> uh, that's not a narrative. That's, that's that. That's, Actually, that's Liam's narrative. <laughs> you, need to wear, you, you need to wear a hoodie and then we can bring back the hooded villain. <laughs> I'm just thinking, the only one person who actually had a serious grudge against me, which is narrative, was Deke, because I beat him of best death. Yeah, let's not get into that. I... All right. <laughs> <laughs> let's not get into that. So, guys, Sydney Slaughter is coming up soon. It's coming up in the second week of June. Yeah, 8th, 8th and 9th of June. Yeah, Great. And, and um, vice versa, if you're outside of Australia and you can't attend Sydney Slaughter, check Facebook, check TGA. There are lots of events that are narrative, narrative-driven events. If you're in Australia, this is definitely one of those must-attend events. Uh, if you've never been, uh, you don't know what you're missing. It is a great event. Chris puts on an amazing experience, not just across the games, but he also has a pub quiz. He has things that happen throughout. Um, Highly recommend. Liam and I have both gone uh, every year now. This is about third years. <laughs> third year out of three. And first year was a ball. Second year was absolutely stunning. Third year is going to be an absolute amazing experience again. And I just haven't decided what army to bring yet. 
So. Uh, also, also in the chat, Andrew Big was just reminded us that his daughter's going to be there. So she played at CanCon. She uh, beat me. Liam beat her. She's 14 years old. She is a gun. And if a 14-year-old girl, Beth, can come, you can come. So make sure you're coming because Beth's amazing. <laughs> yes. Was it last last year when we first met Beth? Yeah, Beth, yeah. Beth actually um, sat around, watched her dad. I thought Andrew was a bad dad at first. I thought... <laughs> I thought, why has this guy got his daughter hanging around at some games event for two days? She's just sitting there watching. I'm like, she must be the most bored person in the world. Then I got to know her. I'm like, this is amazing. She she would come around my table, like no matter where I was, and just be like, wow, you're shit. I'm like, thanks. Like, oh, By the way, Andrew's just told us she's 12. So she's not even 14. She's 12. Uh, she's sass. She's awesome. And she's playing in this event. Uh, you need to come. No excuse. Um, but yeah, I just remember she was walking around last year and then she was even more sassy at the trivia. She was like hardcore. I remember I swore. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And she goes, nah, you're pathetic. I'm like, wow. Okay. Like, and then nah. you beat her up at CanCon. <laughs> nah. Chris, James, if people want to find you guys, that want to ask you questions about this event, maybe whether it's putting on an event in their community like this, whether it's about attending this particular event, Sydney Slaughter, where can they find you? Uh, the best place is the Facebook page, which is Mortally Wounded Podcast. Um, we've also got the website, which is mortallywoundedpodcast.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, which is at Wounded Mortally. Um, and James, so yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter. <clears throat> sorry, Twitter and Instagram is at Duke Kadrick, K H A D R I C. Good but news, it's both in the, the channel description below, so that both of their their links are there. One um, last one last question from Scrivo: um, Will there be any video coverage for Sydney Slaughter? And when I say Sydney Slaughter, he spells it with an S I D N E Y. So I need to teach him how to spell Sydney. But um. <laughs> Well, he taught us. He taught us that they're not scenarios; they're battle plans. But Chris, will there be video? Not known at this stage. There'll definitely you... be Facebook. There'll be. There'll definitely day, be Facebook. Yeah, there'll be video. I'll be documenting the shit out of it. But um, yeah, the the it's if, just if it's, whether or not we'll have a live stream. A stream is um up is in the air yet to be yeah. determined. All right, buy, stay tuned. Buy, if, if... buy tickets and there'll be a stream. <laughs> Get on there. Stay tuned. Maybe there'll be a stream. Boys, this has been I, a treat. Liam, I, need a message, something? I need a message Scrivo to teach him how to spell because he just calls it Sinji Slaughter. Yeah, I'm going to teach him how to spell. Liam, can we not start another fight internationally? Like, I've gone to England and made peace. I've, I mean, I've been in America. I've made peace. Please do not create international grudges. But it's Scrivo. He loves All us. Right. Uh, really quick shout outs there's been a couple of Aussie content creators who have put out some really good content I'd see Doom and Darkness has put out a few battle reports since he's gotten back from Europe he's got a premiere so you're, uh, he's trying out a new YouTube feature I think that kicks off on Friday jump onto that I've seen a bunch of podcasts being released I know Dwellers Below did a, uh, a uh, Border Wars list review so check that out I think they've just kicked off a Twitch channel uh, check your check your podcast, please. When are you putting on another podcast? Probably over the next week or so. Yeah, we'll, right. we'll be doing our yeah. Border Wars coverage episode in the next week. And in the meantime, check their back catalogue. They do good quality stuff, and they've been interviewing some interesting people as well. I, I haven't featured on their podcast, though, so I don't even – so I feel like they're – I don't Maybe know. Maybe we'll do a Gloom by episode soon. Chris, you've been on my channel twice now, and I, I can't get an <laughs> invite. Unbelievable. 
I even got this love in the back. I think I just gave you one. Look at that. Love. You invite. We'll do a glimpse by episode and we'll get you on. Yeah, you're just trying. I know. Um, you're just trying. Now, to, uh, we, you've got to stop playing mixed destruction, and then I'll get you on. I haven't started yet. <laughs> um, but speaking of gloom spite, this this Saturday, I'm kicking off a show with uh, uh goon boss Seth Cook and um, uh, Don Donal Donal, um, the loon boss himself. So we're going to do a faction focus. So oh, okay. stay tuned. Got a couple of cool shows: Bill Souza and uh, two awesome dudes doing Flesh Eater Courts, and we've also got another show coming up. Uh, what am I doing? Another one. Can't remember. Oh, Fire Slayers. Fire Slayers. So lots of cool stuff coming out. Stay tuned on all your favorite Aussie content creators. And as always, under the show description is also the events coming up. So make sure you go to Sydney Slaughter. Do you reckon I should just like end the show with like this evil look? Sydney Slaughter. Yes. <laughs> Need you. Buy some tickets, guys. We'd love to see your beautiful faces. Lots of cool prizes too. So, yeah. except if you play Gloom Spite, don't come. <laughs> that's my Steve, that's my that's my tokens. Micro. That's my tokens. Uh yeah, don't come if you're playing Sylvan for Flesh Eaters because they're my tokens. I don't know. Um, <laughs> can I play two armies so I can get two? Well, you you're not going to win with one army, so you'd probably be pushing it with two. Well, you know what? You're on like two days silence after that comment. <laughs> wow. Uh, and also, and also, also check out uh Cinderfall Gaming because our big uh lovely uh Andrew Bigwood is does, has been doing a show there for uh, every fortnight. So uh check out that if you like more narrative. <laughs> guys, let's call it a wrap. I need to go to bed and start more 3D printing. Uh <laughs> guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're always welcome here. Uh thanks very much. Thanks for having us, Anthony. Chris, Liam Post. One, two, Liam three. Post.